church experience online. We're so happy that you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you'd like to access helpful growth step resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our church experience worship original songs. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. How many of you guys, after Halloween, have way too much candy left at home? Anybody have way too much? You went trick-or-treating or you had a bowl of candy and not enough people came and you got a lot. Well, for those of you who have a lot of candy left over, today at 2 o'clock we're having a candy collection. I'm going to be here. I'll take it all. I'll eat it all. I, I got you. I got your back. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, it's, it's fun going trick-or-treating and getting some candy when you're a kid. When you grow up, what do you do? I mean, it kind of feels weird if there's like this, this grown man at your door knocking, asking for candy, right? So that's, that's the great benefit of having children is I told them this week that there's a dad tax. And I had to explain it to them. I'm like, you know, just like in life, there's taxes on things. Every 10 pieces, you know, one's coming right here. So you, just so you know. <laughs> but, uh, no, candy's, candy's fun. And if you're a child and you're knocking on a door and someone hands you candy that's in a sketchy wrapper, I mean, you don't recognize it. You're like, man, what is that? Like, you, you're not sure you want to eat it. You question it. But if it's a, if it's a well-known brand, if it's Hershey's, right, Snickers, come on, somebody. It's some good stuff right there. You, you trust it. You're more likely to take a bite out of it and eat it because it's a trusted wrapper. But it doesn't have to just have a good wrapper. Because the proof is if a friend of yours says, hey, I want you to try this new candy. You've never had it before. It's a new thing, but it's great. You should try it. You might be willing to try it, but when you tear open that wrapper and you take a bite, if it doesn't taste good, it doesn't matter how much people are talking about it. It doesn't matter how good the wrapper is. You're not going to ever try it again, right? You take a bite and you're like, ooh, not my favorite candy. That's not going to happen. Like, it has to have a good wrapper and it has to taste good for it to be your favorite candy. You agree, right? So we understand that like in life, you know, that it's not just about the cover of the book. It's the content. But usually it's the cover that sells you and gets you into the content. We, we kind of understand that in life. But spiritually, I think sometimes we get confused on the differences between our public and our private lives. Uh, some people spend a lot of time dressing up the outside and the wrapper looks great. And their, their public influence and their public persona is great. And they look like a great Christian. And that's an important thing we don't want to dismiss. But then when you get inside and you open up the wrapper inside, it's not what it looks like on the outside. There's a contradiction. And that can be scary. That, that can get messy. But when there's a congruency of, of what someone's portraying on the outside is who they're aspiring to be on the inside. And, and again, we're not talking about perfection because who, who among us is perfect? No one. Only Christ is. But, but man, when there's a congruency of your public life and your, and your private life, wow, God can really do some amazing things through you and, and around you and in your family. And, and, and this is a, a difficult thing, more, more difficult than it sounds to figure out. How does my private life and my public life work interdependently? And, and, and in what ways are they just completely different? 
What are some of the nuances involved in these things? You know, we, we all understand, I think, spiritually that, that your inner life is probably the, the priority when it comes to your faith. Because, you know, that famous verse in, in Samuel where, where, where God was talking about David, the future king, and he says, you know, man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And it's always preached, uh, meaning it's always preached about how important the inside of your life is and your, your in, interior spiritual condition. And although that's very true and God looks at the heart, sometimes we overlook the first truth. Because there's actually two truths presented in that, in that verse, that man looks at the outside. That, that's equally true. It might be more important that, that God looks at the heart, but it's equally true that in that verse that, that man looks at the outside. And so the difference that you're going to make for Christ in this world, the kind of light that you're going to be, the, the impact you're going to make, you know, and a lot of the relationships you have are determined not just by what's on the inside, but by what's going on on the outside, your public life. But then again, your public life is really influenced, isn't it, by your private life. So, so we're going to get into some of these conversations that I think are going to be really helpful. Help us grow so much in this month ahead, and I'm really excited about how we're going to grow together. And We're going to look at some stories, some interactions that Jesus had with people that had to do with the public and the private life. And, and today we're going to look at one where he, he sets at a table with two very different people. One is privately broken, and the other is publicly broken. And it's quite a contrast, and we pick up the story in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Now, let me just hit the pause button for a moment before we go on the story and explain some of the context here. You know, this was likely in the nice part of town where this Pharisee lived. And his house, if it was like a lot of the houses in that day when it says that he came and reclined at the table, he probably, Jesus probably walked through a semi-public courtyard where, where passerbys would sometimes just walk in and, and gaze into homes where there was, you know, a banquet or a festivities going on. When there's a party, you know, kind of like someone driving past, you know, the front of your house and they slow down. Like, What's going on? It looks like there's a lot of people here. What's happening? And, and people would often do that. And, and Jesus probably walked right through that semi-public courtyard into a, a, a banquet area where there would have been probably a U-shaped table. We don't know this for certain, but historians and Bible scholars, Bible commentators would tell us a lot of times they had it open on one end so that a server could walk in and put the bread and the wine on the table, uh, the different things that they would dip their bread in to eat, and they would be serving you while you reclined. But you would not be sitting at tables. Most likely, Jesus was sitting at what looked like a, a, some kind of a couch without a back on it, and they would they recline with their feet stretch out behind them as they ate at the table. And there Jesus is in this setting, in this man's house. And, and it's very common for people to stop by when there's a, when there's a big banquet, a meal going on, and to, and to look in. But what ha, would have not been common, what would have been very rare, would be for someone to barge in from on the street or that kind of semi-public courtyard and to walk right into the house and join the dinner uninvited. Just like that would be really weird if someone crashed your family dinner some evening. That, that, that was just not common. But that's exactly what happened if you look down in verse 37. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, we don't know what kind of a sinful life, but we know that it was not a good one. And it says that she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She brings some very expensive perfume, and in verse 38 it says that she stood behind Jesus, and at his feet she was weeping, and she wiped she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. 
When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. So Jesus is here at a, a table at this man's house, and this woman comes in unexpectedly, just crashes the party, and she is worshiping at Jesus' feet. And what a, what a contrast, right? The Pharisee was a religious leader, someone who had things seemed like on the outside really put together. But then on the inside, as we're going to discover, he was very judgmental and, and broken privately. But then this woman that comes in, in her heart, she seems to have this real desire for Jesus and this love for God. But, but publicly, what everybody knows of her, her reputation, she's very broken. There's quite a contrast that Jesus is here. And one of the things that I love is that right in the middle of this privately broken person and this publicly broken person, there is Jesus Christ right in the middle of both of them dining with them. And I love that he made room for both of them at the table. But if I could go back to verse 39 for a second and point out something. It said that the Pharisee who had invited him saw this woman doing this. And it says that he said to himself, he said to himself, See if you can catch his attitude here, his tone. He said, if this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is. Do you kinda, can you kind of see his heart there? Like, what kind of a woman she is? That she is a sinner. Ew. Like, I would not, if I was Jesus, I would not let her touch me. That's, that's kind of the vibe you get from this guy that's at the table. He's like, if Jesus really knew all the things that she did, all the places that she went, all the people that she's been with, like he would not, he would not let her touch him. You can kind of sense his judgmentalism and, and just his, his attitude about this woman. See, the Pharisee was basically saying this woman was not good enough to get invited into this room, and she's not good enough to be around me, not good enough to even touch me. See, his private thought, did you see how it said he said to himself? He didn't say this publicly. He wouldn't say this in front of Jesus. I'm not going to say it. But in his, in his private dialogue, which eventually impacted his public actions, who he invited, who he didn't, who he associated with, who he wouldn't, who he was friends with. See, his private dialogue impacted his public actions. And, and here's what I, I like to start with as we get into this story. I wonder if some of your private dialogues, without you realizing it, are impacting the way that you publicly interact with other people in your life. I, I just wonder if we could peel back the layers, which it's hard to do because sometimes you're not aware of that private dialogue going on inside. But but it, I wonder if there's a private conversation going on inside of your mind, just like this Pharisee said about this woman, and he said that she was not good enough. I wonder what group of people or what person individually in your life might fall in that, in that category, be in that box. Maybe someone who's deeply offended you, and, and you just kind of cut them off. Maybe it's someone who's a different style, different age, different background, they act different, believe different, look different. Maybe they have a different political belief, a different religious belief. Maybe someone who you just can't get along with. But I wonder if there's something inside of you, some kind of dialogue conversation going on privately that maybe you're not even aware of or maybe you're very aware of it because your parents were that way or, or maybe someone hurt you very publicly and so you know privately there's some woundedness but, but what if we could address that? 
We don't like to talk about those kinds of things. We hide them in the corners of our heart. But those, those private, private, what I'm going to call them, prejudices in our heart can, if you're not aware of them, impact how you publicly interact with people. And this Pharisee privately thought very lowly of this woman. He did not want to associate with her, so publicly it impacted how, what he thought about her. You know, I want to play a little clip for you of a recent album that was just put out by Kanye West. And I can't believe I'm saying that in church because for a long time his music was really far out there and anything but something that you would play in church. But he, he was a pastor's kid, but, but, but he actually recently got like saved. I mean, he really committed his life to Jesus, scrapped his album that he was working on, and put out a gospel album. Like a, If you listen to it, it's very overtly Christian. And it's kind of surprising and shocking, I think, to most people. But in this little clip, he, he, he actually addresses this issue. I'll just play just a real quick bit of it. Kings, Lord of Lords, all the things he has in store, from the rich to the poor, all are welcome through the door. You won't ever be the same when you call on Jesus' name. Listen to the words I'm saying, Jesus save me, now I'm saying, and I know, I know God is the force that picked me up. I know Christ is the fountain that filled my cup. I know God is we just did that. We played Kanye in church. I just never would have thought. But, but, but you know, I, I love that. I love that lyric. He said, from the rich to the poor. So whatever the public profile is in your life, he's using socioeconomics, but, but whatever the public profile in your life, he's saying all are welcome through the door, and he brings it to Jesus. In Christ, whatever your public profile is, you matter. I mean, we have this on flags outside. We wear it on lanyards around our neck. We carry it in our heart. We say often here, everyone matters because every life matters to God, so they should matter to us. I think that's how we're supposed to live as believers. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think we'd agree with that. But the problem is that even though we intellectually can believe that, the, the private prejudice inside our heart can keep us from actually expressing that love. And, and here at this table, Jesus as is at a cross-section of two very different lives. Someone who publicly looked very religious, had it all together, and then someone who publicly was just messed up. The person walking down the street, and she was a sinful woman. Some contend that she was a prostitute. Some say that she wasn't. We don't know. In fact, I think, you know, one of my friends talked about this passage, and he said, you know, maybe the reason is because we don't know her specific sin is because that's how God operates. He doesn't try to shame us out of our sins and publicly expose all of the darkness in us. But instead, he's wanting us to come to grace, and he's a merciful God. And, and, and that's just who he is. But either way, we, don't, we just know she was a mess. The kind of person walking down the street that you look at and be like, there's a walking mess. Like, that's just what it says. I mean, she just, that was her life. But here's what's amazing. Jesus received her worship. Her brokenness. She didn't have to clean her life up and come to Jesus. She just came as she was and he received her. And, and maybe what's even more amazing, because you see a lot of Jesus' seemingly contentious interactions with some of these really religious Pharisee types, this judgmental crowd. I, I think some of us can have compassion more easily for someone who's broken than this person who's really judgmental and religious. But here's what's amazing about Jesus. He's at the table with both of them. He, he, he accepted the invitation to dinner. He's sitting with this, this judgmental hypocrite who looks good on the outside, the inside's not. And he's sitting with this woman who's broken at his feet, worshiping. He knew that everyone matters. How about you?
Who gets to sit at your table? In, in your notes, I have a question for, for you. Do I hold any private prejudices that need to be settled? Is there any one person or group of people, I mean, is there anything in your life that without you realizing it in your heart, that maybe you've, you've drawn some lines around people, some preconceived opinions that are not based on reason, that maybe based on something that happened to you or whatever it might be, a viewpoint you have. You know, sometimes this is really hard when, when we think about people that are, you know, in a different place than we are, whether they're further ahead or further behind. Um, you know, a verse that comes to my mind is Romans chapter 12, verse 16, where it says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. So that's a great example. If you're like, you know, a manager at work and you've been there, you got some seniority, and then there's the new employee that shows up. You know, and in the, the world's way of doing things, you, you kind of, you know, you, as the Bible says, lord it over those, you know, under your, your care, under your watch. But the, the Bible talks about a different way, a different paradigm of viewing people from the least to the greatest, so to speak, is all valuable. And it says here in Romans 12 to not, to be willing, always be willing to associate with people of low position. So it's not saying that there's not different positions and groups in society, that there is the rich, there is the poor, there is the, the boss at work, and there's the new guy on the, you know, that just showed up. How do you treat them? Do you go out of your way to, to care for everyone as if they matter? Or in your mind, do, do some groups or some individuals matter less than others? So that question, I think, is one you probably can't solve, unfortunately, right here, right now. But I want you to take that question into your time alone with God this week. Take it into your private prayer life and ask the Holy Spirit. Say, God, you know, convict me if there's any private prejudice in my heart. Maybe someone who's wounded me or hurt me said something to me that I need to forgive. Some group of people, maybe that I'm looking at different than you look at. And it might be more the Pharisee type or more the broken type. But, but in my life, is there anyone that I'm looking at that I'm looking at with different eyes than how you see them? And I know how you see them, Jesus. You made it abundantly clear. You made room at your table in your life for everyone. Well, this story is amazing for a, a lot of reasons. But one of the things I like about this first part of the story is that Jesus is actually there. He's at the table dining with these two people. And, you know, I, I love I love to eat. I love, you know, we, most meals we eat at home. But whenever I get to go out, if it's a date night or I'm out with some friends, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's fun to get to do that every once in a while. And you have your favorites, don't you? You could probably pretty quickly tell us your two or three favorite places. In fact, PK had us last Sunday, uh, had a shout out, you know, one of our favorite things. I'm going to do the same thing with you right now. I, wanna, I want you to help me out. And I want you to, on the count of three, yell out your favorite place to eat like if right now you could go out to lunch at one place and anywhere it doesn't even have to be here but it was like your favorite place I want you to just yell out what that would be you ready are you ready come on here we go one two three okay I, I heard all kinds of goodness in there I mean I can just I can almost smell it like that was good I, I can see it you're salivating you know you you just you're thinking about your favorite meal for me it's a, a new one is one of my favorites and that's blaze pizza I don't know if you've heard of Blaze Pizza. It's kind of new to Florida. It's, it's, it's a newer chain in general. Uh, LeBron James was a big backer, and so it got some public you know, props, and it started growing. But, but it's, it's, it's kind of like the Chipotle version for pizza. And, and there's a few of them that have now are in Florida. It's just you've got to drive a little ways to get to them. I think they're eventually going to come here. And uh, you know, that, that's like a, 
a, a really cool place because you walk in and it's just like making your own burrito at Chipotle because you, you, you know, when you're making a burrito, you say, I want this, that, that, and that, and they put it together for you and they, they, they give it to you pretty quick and you can eat it right there. Well, they've done this with pizzas now where you can walk down the, the row and you can pick out all your favorite toppings and because it's thin crust, they throw it in that brick oven pizza and it's ready pretty quick. They got some great lemonade. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Like, I'm getting hungry right now just thinking about it. It's so good. I, I, I love it. And I love barbecue chicken pizza. If I ever get a barbecue chicken pizza, that's a good day. That's a good day. So when I can make my own and eat it right there, I mean, I'm, it's game over. I don't want to go anywhere else, you know. But, but you, you, you know what it's like to have your favorite meal and how, what you think about your favorite meal, how, how much you're excited about that, even just talking about it right now. What if... What if you were that excited to sit down and dine with Jesus? Hold on. What if, what if the same anticipation when you were going out to eat was how, what you woke up with every day? You know what? I'm so excited. If, if I get everything else wrong today, if I miss everything else that I'm supposed to do, if there's one thing I'm going to get right today, I'm going to sit down with Jesus and I'm going to dine with him. I'm going to experience his presence, his power in my life. I need his peace. I need more of his joy. Like what if, what if our posture every day was, you know what? The one thing I'm going to get right today is I'm going to dine with Jesus. I'm going to spend time with him. Like, like what if? I, I just think that would transform our lives. And this woman, she knew that. She was, she was a hot mess. I mean, her life was falling apart. And you know what she did? She's like, there's one thing I need. <laughs> if, if I haven't got anything else right, I know I need to be at Jesus' feet. And she came into that meal, and she got at Jesus' feet, and she worshiped, and it transformed her. It changed her, and she was better for it, and she was different for it. She left. If you read the end of the story, she leaves different. And, and, and you know what? I know you have struggles going on in your life, and you have complexities, and there's busyness, and a lot of things to juggle. But if there's one thing you don't want to miss, and that's, that's sit at the table with Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a verse in Revelation that we use evangelistically, and, and I think appropriately so. But it was a verse that was actually written not to people who are spiritually lost, but it was written to the church. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He says, I want, I want you to be at my table. There's, there's no lines that like, you know, only, only those who have it together can come. Only those who look real religious or only those who are whatever. He says, just come. And he wants to dine with you privately. He wants that. Now, he's offered public banquets and festivities in the Bible in Hebrews it says don't give up meeting together some are in the habit of doing we should gather the early church they always gathered in heaven we're going to gather there's going to be a group of like God's pleased with this this is good but but if you only publicly gather let's just say once a week and, and you throw a few prayers up occasionally you know the Bible says in James even the demons believe that there's a God they believe so so just believing is not enough if, if I just throw out a few prayers occasionally listen what I'm doing is spiritually, hold on, I'm living on candy. <laughs> I'm living on trick-or-treat candy. That, I'm spiritually malnourished. But, but God wants you to, to, you access it through faith alone, but he wants you to do more than just believe. He wants you to sit at his banquet table and feast on his presence and on his power every day. So are you doing that? Are you doing that? 
Because what's going to change your, your private dialogue? What's going to change your private prejudice? What's going to change your, your, your things in your life that are sinful and broken, like this woman who, who was fallen and this man who was judgmental? What's going to change the interior parts of your life more than anything? Well, it's Jesus. It's his presence. So are you dining with him? Are you spending daily time with him, quality time? Or is it just a little snack, a little two-minute appetizer? You know, appetizers are good, but they're not meant to be the entree. And if you're just snacking and, and, and living on candy, you're spiritually mal- malnourished, and you're going to miss all that God has for you. Back in Luke chapter 7, this story goes on, and I, I really like this part down in verse 40. Because, in fact, let me back up to verse 39 for a moment. This, this Pharisee, you know, he invited him. He, he saw what this woman was doing, and he said to himself, and, and I want you to notice that. He said to himself, so just inner, inner dialogue. If this man were prophet, he would know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is. Ew, she's a sinner. Like that, that, you can see all that. Verse 40, Jesus answered him. So Jesus spoke to his private conversation. I think this is really interesting. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that kind of creep you out? You're sitting there thinking about something, and then all of a sudden Jesus addresses what you're privately thinking, like, hold on, like, how did you do that? That's scary. Like, does he know what I was thinking yesterday? You know? and, and, and he addresses him, and, and he goes on to have this, this conversation, tells him a story, which we're going to get to in a second. But, but the point in all of that's in your teaching notes. My private thoughts are fully known to God. My, my private thoughts, what I think are, are fully known by God. And, and maybe, maybe you believe that, maybe you don't, but you don't have to take my word for it. You can look at God's word. Psalm 139 verse 1 says, you, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with how many of my ways? All my ways. All my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. So you know everything, God. You know, you know everything I think. So why even pray? If God already knows, why do I need to talk to him? I mean, you know, you, you've seen a little kid run up to you about something. They had some question they want to ask you. You knew what they were going to ask you before they asked you, right? I, mean, you, I, I know where you're going with this. I, I got you. For, God knows, but he still wants you to bring it to him. That's the beauty of conversation. That's how relationship is formed. It's, it's, it's in the interactions. It's the back and forth. It's, it's the time together, the quality time. That, that's, that's, I mean, it's not like, you know, when you're with somebody for 20 years, you don't say, well, we don't need to go on a date. We don't need to spend time together because well, we, we already know, you know, we already know everything about it. There's nothing new to learn. Let's just, let's just not worry about it. No, you used to need to invest in that relationship if you want it to grow. You need to put time into it, right? And so, my private thoughts are fully known by God, and even though he knows everything, he wants me to bring it to him. But that's the amazing part about God. He knew that this woman was a mess. Now, the Pharisee knew that she was a mess because she had a bad public reputation. But he, think about it, he didn't know how bad of a mess she was. Just like you and I don't know how bad of a mess we are. And the people around us don't know. Only God knows the depth of our depravity. Only God knows the full Fullness of the darkness of the corners of our heart. God knows about all the sin, past, present, future in your life. He knows about all of it. But here's the awesome thing. He knew how bad this woman was, how far away she was, but he still received her, as he will you, on your worst days. 
Some people think, well, I got to clean it up and then bring it to God. I need to get my life together, then go worship. Then once I get through this, I got to figure some things out, then I'll come to God. No, no, no. You bring your mess to God because he already knows about it. You come to him in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your problems, and the amazing thing about Jesus is he receives you as you come. It's amazing. It's, it's one of the great things about our Savior, his grace. But he's not interested in just you coming to him in the middle of the mess. He loves you too much for that. He wants to not leave you in the mess, but to make your mess something beautiful, to turn it, to turn it inside out, to turn it into a masterpiece instead of a mess. And Jesus, when he looked at this woman, he saw not all of the, the pain that might have been caused by her sin. He didn't just see that. Not all of her problems. He knew about that. No, he saw her potential. He saw who she could be, not just who, she, who he was. Wouldn't it be amazing if people looked at you and they saw your potential, not, not your shortcomings? I mean, wouldn't you love that if, like, when you walked into any kind of setting, the people, when they looked at you, they saw who you could be? Every once in a while, God gives us a gift, and there's someone in our life that, that says, they look at us in a different kind of way. They look at us like who we could be, who we aspire to be, who we want to be on our best days, who we sometimes are, but not always who, who we live up to. And the amazing thing about God is he always sees you that way. He can't not see you that way. He sees your unlimited potential. He sees who you're becoming. He is aware of who you were, but he's, he's more worried about, more concerned, more focused on your future, not your failures. That's, that's incredible. And he wants you, listen, he wants you to look at other people in your life that same way. Now, who they could be. Not judge them and assess them at their worst. This woman was at her worst. She was broken, but he saw her who she could be. And he wanted this Pharisee to see her the same way. Hey, bring a seat for her. Let's invite her. Have some, sit down and dine with us. But he wasn't there yet. He, he, he couldn't do that because of his private, interior decisions and way of thinking. You know, I'm talking about food today. Let's go all in. You know, let's talk about donuts for a second because I really love donuts. I talked about Krispy Kreme a couple weeks ago and I don't eat them very much anymore because I realize they're not the healthiest thing for me, but I still love a good glazed donut. And I'm kind of like, you know, I know, you know, walk up to the, the display and there's like all the sprinkles and the chocolate and the maple and the little donut holes. There's just so many options now, but I just still, I'm a classic glazed donut kind of guy. Is anybody with me on that? It's like that's, it's hard to top a glazed donut, you know what I'm saying? But the problem is every once in a while I'm at a party or something and I'm, I'm hanging out with some friends and, and someone throws some donuts out on the table or you're a work thing and there's, there's donuts and, and I go over and I grab a, a glazed donut hole or a glazed donut and I go to take a bite out of it thinking that it is my favorite glazed donut, but it's not. How many of you like, like, cheese-filled uh, donuts or jelly-filled donuts. Anybody here like the, the kind of, okay, there is a few people. Uh, that's good to know. You enlightened me. I didn't know anybody liked those things. I was going to put a petition together to get rid of them all together. So it's good to know that there's some people that don't have very good taste with donuts. It's, it's okay. I'm not judging you. <laughs> but, but no, I, I love a glazed donut. So when I bite into it and it's not what I thought it was, like, oh, man, you just kind of ruined it for me. It's not on the inside what it looked like. Hold on, what it looked like on the outside. And, and publicly, you can look a certain way, and this Pharisee had it together on the outside, but what was exposed in this conversation, in his private dialogue, which Jesus saw, was his interior sinfulness. 
his judgmentalism and how he saw others. And that was exposed. And when you come into God's presence, one of the reasons, listen, why we avoid God's presence is because we are aware, consciously or unconsciously, we are aware of our sinfulness. And we're not quite sure we're ready to bring it to light. It's the same way as someone who knows they got something going on in their body, but they delay, delay, delay going to the doctor because they're not sure they really want to know the answer. It's almost easier sometimes to live with the pain and to walk with the limp than it is to come into the surgeon and let them do their work. Because sometimes getting cut open and having the, the wound exposed is more painful on the front end, although it brings amazing healing on the back end. What, what healing could God bring in your life if you were willing to come and sit at his table? Messes as they are, this woman coming as she is in all her brokenness saying, Jesus, I just need you. I just want to come to you. See, when you come as you are, Jesus receives you and he has such great hope of transforming what's on the inside, what people don't see. That's what he's concerned with. And he loves you so much that, he, that he's obsessed with that. Sometimes I'm, I'm driving through a neighborhood and, you know, there'll be a, some garage doors open. You know, if someone's out on a jog or something, they left the garage door open. And, and I have, like, conflicting feelings because sometimes when I see someone's garage door open and I look inside... You know, it's, it's so organized. You know, like, all the bins are color-coordinated, and, like, all the tools are, like, right, you know, in a line, like, by height. You know, like, all and I, the drawers, everything is just so perfect, and there's all this extra space. It's just amazing. And I look at that, and I'm like, one day. <laughs> one day my garage is going to look like that. Right now it's full of kids and bikes, and all the bins are not coordinated. It's, it's not bad, but it's not that good. One day. When I retire one day, I can, that's, that's going to be my project. But then, but then there's other houses I pass, and the garage door is open. It is. Everything's a mess. It's falling apart. It's just packed full. I think most garages are probably more like that, and, and mine has been like that. But it's a little better than that. And so I'm, some days I feel, okay, well, at least it's not that bad, you know. And, and what's interesting, though, is when those garage doors are down, they all look the same, don't they? You, you just see the facade of what's on the front. You don't see what's on the inside. And what I think Jesus wants to do in this teaching series and what he wants to do in our lives is to roll up that door and go into the inner places that, that people don't see. And sure, there's some things that are put together, but for a lot of us, there's some other things that he wants to address that are disorganized in disarray. And he wants to come do his work so that. When that door is rolled up from time to time in conversations with people, as people get close to you, they don't see just the public light of Christ shining through you. They see the interior light of Christ that's shining even in the midst of your imperfections. Even in the midst of your sinfulness, they see that, man, Jesus has really done a work inside them, not just publicly. That's what we aspire toward. That's what we hope for. You know, Whenever you slip into a season of being less committed, uh, drifting spiritually, struggling spiritually, maybe not alive and as committed as you used to be, maybe not uh, feeling that wholehearted passion, I, I think what this last part of this story um, shares with us is going to be really helpful for you. Maybe you came in in a spiritual slump today. You know, and maybe you, you feel like, man, I'm in a spiritual slump. I'm feeling spiritually apathetic or if not now, you have been or you will go through these times. And I think how Jesus responded to the Pharisee at the table is very enlightening for us because in verse 41, as Jesus is addressing what Simon the Pharisee is thinking to himself, he tells him a story. Jesus says, two people owed, a cert, um, owed money to a certain money lender, and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 
That's a good question. Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned around uh, toward the woman and he said to, to Simon, did you, did you ever have mom doing this to you growing up? See, like, she's looking at like her husband or one of the other siblings, but she's really talking to you. Out of, and she's looking at you out of the corner of her eye and she's, you know she's talking to you. This is what he's doing. He's, he's looking at the woman, but he's talking to Simon and he says, do you see the, the, this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. You know, this, this story is so helpful because the story that Jesus tells, it, it, it highlights a very important point. First of all, though, what he's not saying, and it almost is what you think when you first read it. He's not saying, hey, Mr. Pharisee, who's really religious, you've done a lot of right things. Maybe you were raised in a family that taught you these things, and you've lived a pretty good life. You haven't done some of the dark things that she's done. Uh, so your sins are not as bad as hers. Whoever's forgiven little loves little. You don't, your sin's not that big of a deal. Her sin's a huge deal. Yours is not. So the reason why she really loves me and is going all out is because she's had really horrible things in her life. You know, your sin's really not that bad. So, you know, Hers is really bad, so that makes sense why she's doing this, right? I know it sounds crazy that she's weeping at my feet, and, but, you know, you don't really need to do that because your sins really, I mean, I don't know, a few white lies, you know, maybe you stole something when you were seven one time, but it's not that big of a deal. We're going to overlook that stuff. You're good, Mr. Pharisee. So you don't need to bow at my feet in worship. I'm, I'm not surprised that you're not broken right now. I totally get it. That's not what he's saying at all because that Pharisee's sins, just like that woman's, would have sent him to hell as well would have separated him from a loving father. And his, his sins, just like hers, like, like yours and like mine, all of our sins put Jesus on the cross. All of our sins were significant enough to cause the death of a Savior who came to save us from our sins. It wasn't that his sins were less severe. Now, publicly and practically, they might not have been the same things as her, and they might in that way not have been as big of a deal. And maybe he's referencing some of that in the sense that she's, if she is a prostitute, she's out sleeping around. Maybe I, maybe I haven't done that. But Jesus is getting to a point. She is aware of her sin. You're not aware of the depth of your sin. And because she's aware of the depth of her sin, she's falling at my feet and worshiping because she loves me so much. She's aware of my grace. You have forgotten. The love has grown cold. It's become ritualistic. It's become religious. This is why I don't think Jesus came to establish a religion. He came to establish a movement. He came to help people be reunited to the Father in relationship. And, and, he, and he's essentially saying to him, the reason why, why you have not shown me even these common courtesies that someone would extend to a dinner guest. You haven't even done, and he lists out some of these basic things that they would do in their culture to welcome a guest. You haven't even done these basic things. But the reason why she has done so much is because she is aware of the depth of her depravity as much as she's able to. She sees it. She feels it. She's experienced it. She knows it. She knows her, listen, her need for a savior. If you don't need to be saved, then why would you worship? And so if you get to a place in your life where you're spiritually slumping or becoming spiritually apathetic or you're saying, man, I want more of that fire in my life for the Lord. I really want to live for him. I see that Jesus is the answer, but I keep in my flesh get pull, being pulled into the ways of the world and I keep getting pulled back from where I really want to be. It might not be a public problem. It might be a 
private problem. It might be that you're having a problem publicly. I'm publicly having a hard time, you know, worshiping in the way I used to do. I'm publicly having a hard time, you know, reading my Bible or taking notes. I'm having publicly having a hard time serving people like I used to serve or going through whatever the, the motions are in my life. I, I'm, I'm struggling publicly. I don't think it's usually, I think that's a fruit, not the root. I think the root is a private problem. Most often, it's what I've seen in my life, is that I have started to get too familiar with the grace of God to where I've neglected how amazing it is. And I have to go back on a regular basis, just being transparent, I have to go back often and just remind myself, man, I, I without Christ have no hope. Jesus, you are everything to me. My sins were a big deal. Thank you for your forgiveness. Like, that's incredible. And I start to think about all the things, all the riches I have in Christ and how that's what I really want and what I really need. What if you could sit at his banquet table this week and restore some of that lost passion? I think it would be transformational in your private life. And then I think it would flow out to your public life as well. Well, there's... Another verse that I want to share with you in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, and I'll give you a final challenge for this week, and it's, it's up here on the screen. It says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And, and if you look at that verse closely, it, it's, it's telling something very important, and that's that it's your responsibility to keep your passion hot. It's your responsibility to keep your spiritual fire cooking. And if it's growing cold, sometimes what we do is we look at God and we complain. and We say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, I need you to show up. I need you to fix things in my life. And, and publicly things start to break down in our life. And, and we think that God is doing this to us. But a lot of times it's the consequence of the, the lack of private worship. And I put it this way in your teaching notes. My private worship or lack of will overflow into my public passions. My, my private worship or lack of private worship will overflow into my public passions. So if I am finding myself in worship instead of what I once used to be doing, hands raised, heart wide open, worshiping God, not just singing lyrics that are falling out of my mouth, but in my heart, deeply, passionately, energetically worshiping God, and I'm no longer doing that, it might be that privately, when I'm at home, in God's word or in prayer, that I have lost my fire and I've allowed that to grow cold and become a routine and I've lost it privately. So it's not that I'm gonna fix it publicly. I just need to, I need to do this or I need to do this. It's, that's not gonna fix it. It's that I need to, on Monday, I need to get closer to Christ. I need to spend more time worshiping him and understanding his grace because whatever's happening privately is gonna come out publicly. So if my problem is serving, I'm having a hard time serving my spouse or my coworkers. I'm just having a hard time with that publicly. It might be that, that privately you haven't been spending as much time with Christ and realizing how much Christ served you when although he was the king, he came down off his throne and he died on a cross for your sins. And then he got down and he washed his disciples' dirty, smelly feet, even though he was their leader. And it's like, if he can do that, then I can have the public power to serve others if he served me in that kind of way. And it's just when you, when you are transformed privately, it's going to change you publicly. So here's my question. What, what conversation do you need to have privately with God this week? Where do you need to come and crash at his banquet table and kneel at his feet and say, Jesus, 
there's this area in my life that's not going well, or there's this private prejudice, or there's this struggle, there's this sinfulness. God, and I'm bringing it to you in honesty and with a genuine desire for you to transform and change what's on the inside. What if that would happen in your life this week? Man, I think you would publicly see some, some amazing things change. Some people are praying for public blessings, but they're not honoring God privately. We cannot expect God to do great things in our life publicly and through our life in the ways that we want to and the ways we're praying about if on, and in the private areas of our life that are only seen by God, we're dishonoring Him. So if, if I want God to bless my life, I wanna put myself privately in a posture to receive His blessing. That doesn't mean that you have to be perfect for God to bless you or He'd never bless anybody, because we're all imperfect. But it means that that area in your life that you're thinking about right now that you know is not right, that's, that's not submitted to God, if you bring that to Him privately, watch what He'll do publicly. You trust God, honor Him, follow Him, and see that God will do amazingly more than in your life than you could ever imagine. Right on? Thanks again for joining us today at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support the movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship original song. We hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today.